Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn again to the book of Galatians, to Galatians chapter 2. And we're in Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10 this morning as we continue to work through this wonderful book from Paul to those Gentile believers in the region of Galatia. Well, I wonder this morning if you've ever had the privilege that I have had of facing a Japanese delegation. Um, We were young missionaries. We had just finished two years of language study, and at the two-year mark in Japanese study, you know just enough to get in trouble. And uh, we had relocated to our first assignment, still studying, and so the local Japanese Baptist church there had been the mother church for a church plant that, uh, that I, that we had inherited, a storefront church in downtown. And then we were also tasked, we were living in a suburb, a suburb with 40,000 people and not one evangelical work of any kind, and our task was to then plant a church there in that suburb. Well, I went to uh, my first deacon's meeting. Uh, the, the missionary who was retiring, who had planted the storefront church, told me about uh, deacon's meeting at the mother church for the, the, the storefront church, and he said, you'll need to go every month and <clears throat> to deacon's meeting. Well, I was 30 years old and young, and I just assumed everybody was excited about church planting uh, because I was a new missionary. And so I walked into deacon's meeting that Sunday afternoon, and there they were. Uh, I realized this was not going to be all fun and games. Uh, they were, the tables were in a long rectangle, and, and they, uh, all the deacons in suits, were on one end with large notebooks, and there was one chair on the other end, and that was for me. And I quickly learned that uh, through some misunderstanding and some history that, that they kind of saw the local Southern Baptist missionary as kind of a free staff member, and, uh, and they were enjoying that. And so I basically went every month to explain again and apologize for why I was doing ministry uh, out in the suburb and trying to plant a church. And again, they, 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 were, they were just a misunderstanding that, that you were sending me there uh, as an IMB missionary to plant churches. Parenthetically, uh, since I've been here, um, one of our members brought to me a little notebook, uh, his daughter, uh, back in 2003 or four, uh, from Vacation Bible School. Uh, we were the uh, focus family for the preschool vacation Bible school uh, back in 2003 or four. So some of you were praying for us a long time before we ever knew you. Well, anyway, so uh, if you haven't faced the Japanese delegation, wonderful people, just a misunderstanding. But if you ever faced that, then I hope you someday get that privilege uh, of doing so. Well, much more so, Paul is uh, going to face a delegation in our chapter two of Galatians. Paul is writing his account, uh, we read the other, the parallel account over in Acts 15, Luke writes about what is called the Jerusalem Council. We don't know for certain that Paul is referring to that in Galatians 2, but every indication says that it's probably the same meeting he's referring to and writing from a different perspective. And so Paul writes for us in Galatians chapter 2 about this experience. You remember that the Judaizers had come to Galatia, to this region, and Paul is there to preach the gospel to see the folks in the region of Galatia come to know Christ as their Savior. And so the Judaizers have come in and they said, oh, the gospel is great as long as you also keep the Old Testament law, which of course included circumcision, but not only that. And so there's great frustration. And so Paul, we believe, is leaving for this council from Antioch. 
Remember that Barnabas had gone down to Antioch, the ministry there was great, and Barnabas being Barnabas went to Tarsus and fetched Paul to bring him back to help with the work. And so the Judaizers first hit Antioch, and so that's the reason for this visit to Jerusalem, but Paul's writing about the same problem in Galatia. And if you're not confused, then you're not paying good attention. Uh, So let's pick up. Uh, here in chapter 2, verse 1, then after an interval of 14 years, and, and we don't know again exactly here, probably Paul's referring to 14 years after his conversion to Christ. There's a lot of different numbers in math about Paul's uh, timeline here, but uh, nevertheless, it doesn't really matter, but probably so. I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage." But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised... For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Well, what does the church do when there is a disagreement? What are we to do when there's some confusion and some trouble in the camp? Well, we have a lot of options. So one option that many churches choose is to fight among themselves. And uh, it's been proven over the history of the world that churches are really good at that, uh, at fighting. And parenthetically, let me just say how thankful, how grateful I am for the spirit by which you conduct your business, if we want to call it that, uh, here in the church, our our quarterly business meetings. I brag on you for the spirit. Uh, Of course, we try to set the tone there and make those meetings of celebration of what God is doing uh, here, but I'm thankful for that. So I'm preaching to the choir today, but as a reminder to keep that up, to keep up that good work, well, we can fight. Now, one option they didn't have back then, we could go to social media and we could uh, bicker there. There are a lot of options that we have. But the Lord's option, of course, is to talk and to talk in a Christ-like manner and to try to figure things out for the glory of the Lord. It's so easy in church to lose sight of the, of the why that we're here, this series, Galatians 1 and 2, that, that's the very title, the church's why. Why do we do what we do? Well, it's pretty easy for us to begin to slowly think that what we do, we do for ourselves, and, uh, and we want the temperature to be, you know, the perfect temperature, and, and we want the seats to be not too hard, not too soft, and, you know, all of these things. And, 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 and the list goes on and on of the things. So we have to constantly remind ourselves that the reason we're here is for His mission, 
and for His glory. And uh, too many churches, and you've been around situations over the years, too many times uh, the church is its own worst PR. And uh, when you leave church, if you go tell your friends all of the things that are wrong with the church, well, they're not going to want anything to do with the church or with our Lord. So again, I thank you for not being like that, but we have these different options. But the Lord's option is to get together to talk about it prayerfully in a Christ-like manner to find out what the Lord thinks about the situation. Imagine as, as Americans, again, trying to gather ourselves and to agree on anything unless we have an unchanging authority, unless we have an unchanging criteria by which we make our decisions. Uh, there's just no way. We can't agree on football teams, on pizza toppings, on uh, anything. And so we have to have something that's unchanging we have to have some sole authority, some stack pole by which we make these decisions. So, Paul, again, uh, Paul, whom some would criticize and say he's a harsh uh, man, well, he chose because of himself? No. He chose because of the importance of the work to go up to Jerusalem. He says the Lord had revealed to him that he needed to do so, but he wanted to see what the greater body of Christ thought about what was happening and the gospel he preached. Again, that gospel that says, we are born with sin natures, and we very quickly commit our own sin by thought, by word, by action, by attitude, and that someone perfect has to pay for our sin. And that gospel says that Jesus Christ, who was God, left the glories of heaven, came to this earth, died on a cruel cross to pay for my sin for yours, three days later, resurrected himself and returned to heaven so that all who would place their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. And that's the gospel that Paul was preaching. So Paul said, we need to have agreement here. We need to, to work on this and to deal with this matter. So he goes up to Jerusalem uh, in his own will, and he takes two men with him, Barnabas and Titus. Now, he's very selective, very intentional in choosing these two men, the wisdom of the Lord. Barnabas was Barnabas. Everyone loved Barnabas. He was the son of encouragement, and so Barnabas is the wise, trusted brother to take with him. But Titus, Paul was pushing the envelope a little bit in taking Titus because Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile believer. He was, if you will, the very test case for what they needed to discuss in Jerusalem. So he takes Barnabas and Titus, and they go up to Jerusalem. And he says, I submitted to them, I laid out to them, to the rest of the apostles, to the church leaders and elders, the gospel which I preached to the Gentiles but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And so Paul goes up and he just lays it all out to them. He says, hey, uh, rest of the apostles, if you will, this is what I'm preaching. This is what I'm teaching uh, where down in Antioch, later it would be in other places, but at this particular moment, this is what I'm preaching in Antioch. What do you guys think about this? We need to come to a conclusion here. Well, what Paul didn't realize at the moment, what the Lord did, was that Paul's enemies, the Judaizers, had come in, they had pressed the point, they had forced Paul's hand, and so Paul goes up to Jerusalem, where this is still at this point the center of the church, the, the, the original, the, the origin city where the, most of the apostles were at. What happened was that those enemies of Paul unwittingly sealed their own fate. 
because they didn't know, Paul didn't know, that what's going to happen here at the end, as we see, is that Paul's going to come out with a ringing endorsement from the rest of the church that, yes, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. The devil still likes to come against the work of the Lord in our individual lives, in our families, and in the church from the very beginning. He's been so. From the very beginning, he's been opposed to whatever God was in favor of. He's been opposed to the will of God. And he's worked and he's worked, and every time he fails. And yet he's, he's not as smart as your average dog because he keeps on doing the exact same thing and he keeps on losing. And so he will come against you. As an individual, the revelation, revelation tells us that he is the accuser of the brethren, accusing us day and night. And he does. But the outcome that can come out of that is that it just presses us harder into Jesus, which is actually good for the kingdom of God and good for us. All of these things he does, if you will let it turn you to Christ, he will fail. So when he comes against you, be patient. He may be unwittingly sealing his own fate, like Haman and Mordecai. Yes, Haman didn't know that everything he was doing to destroy Mordecai and the Jews was going to turn around on him and only strengthen the Israelites, like Jesus and the devil. The devil thought he had won when he finally put Jesus on the cross, but what he didn't know was that he had finally lost forever and ever and ever. So be patient. The devil will all often press against the church, press against you, but if you'll be patient and keep seeking the Lord, oftentimes the case for Christ will come out stronger than it was before. So Paul says, I went up, I, I let them have it. Well, he says, I did it in secret because he tells us in verse 4 that there were those who had been uh, snuck in to the meeting, and they were there to try to come against Paul, just like he found in Antioch, and to say, no, no, you must add the Old Testament law to salvation. And it's obvious here by what he says that they were pressing this young man, Titus, with whom, uh, with, who's come with you, he must be circumcised. And so Paul was stubborn in this case. Again, I submit to you that Paul was a gracious, loving man, but he was willing when necessary to be stubborn. This was a case where Paul needed to be stubborn. It's okay to be stubborn for the kingdom. Now, I would submit to you that you don't need to seek to be angry for the kingdom, but it's okay to hold your ground for the kingdom because precedent is so, so crucial. Paul realizes uh, he could have bent a little here and said, you know, just for, for getting along, sake, sure, we'll have, we'll have Titus circumcised. Why not? But he would have undermined everything that he had gone to Jerusalem for to preserve the definition of what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And so in this case, it was okay for Paul to say, no, precedent is so important. As a church leader, precedent is so important to me. Uh, it doesn't have to be, but I, it, it is. The Lord has made it important to me. Uh, there are certain things that you have to look ahead and say, well, this, this might be okay, but where's that going to be in its next step? So I'm a big believer in precedent. Of course, just like in this council, just like today, the precedent has to be based on the Word of God and to make sure that the precedent that it will lead to is in agreement with the Word of the Lord. Well, the false brethren came in. They were trying to, to spy out their liberty, which they have in Christ, to bring us into bondage, to add to the gospel, to add to the gospel. But we didn't yield, he says, so that the gospel would remain with you. Those believers in Galatia, those believers at this point in Antioch 
and elsewhere. Gentiles coming to the faith with the Judaizers coming in and confusing them. They needed Paul to stand strong on the word of God, and he did so. And he says in verse 6, but those who are of high reputation, and Paul, again, you have to understand what Paul's doing here. Uh, It's not that Paul doesn't uh, believe in or love or have a good relationship with the other apostles. He does. We, We read last week that he'd gone up to get to know Peter. But he's doing everything that he's doing with an eye back to Antioch, and now he's writing about it with an eye back to the region of Galatia. And he wants to say, yes. Paul would say to us on the side here, he'd say, yes, the church has leaders, and I I recognize them, and the church must have leaders. But because of what's happening back in Antioch, and because of what's happening in Galatia, uh, those to whom he's writing this letter, where the Judaizers are coming in and saying, you don't have to listen to Paul. He's not a real apostle. So Paul's just trying to say, hey, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Pastors today are player coaches Uh, We're members of the church. We're fellow brothers in the Lord, even though we have a different role. The ground is level. So Paul's making that point. He says, they were of reputation, but it doesn't make any difference to me. God shows no partiality. But he said, they contributed nothing to me. It sounds a little bit negative. I think Paul is saying here, they looked at my gospel that I'm preaching, they examined the gospel that I'm sharing, and they didn't add anything to it. They didn't say, Paul, you you need to add this or change this. They said, Yes, that is the gospel. That's the same gospel that saved us. That's the same way by which we've come to know Christ as our Savior. And so they decided so. Now, what was the criteria for this decision? We learn about it over in Acts 15 in the parallel passage. Luke records for us that the standard was the Word of God. When James makes the declaration over in Acts 15, he quotes from Amos, from Jeremiah, from some others to say, this is what the Lord was telling us back in the Old Testament. This is what the Lord was prophesying that, yes, not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, but that all the world would have the opportunity to come to know Christ as their Savior. That's the reason, one of them, that God developed His covenant with Israel for his glory, and so that Israel, his intention was that Israel would walk so closely with God that the rest of the world would look and say, we want what you've got. You know something we don't know, and you know a God who's blessing you in such a way that we're drawn to him. Even in the Old Testament, that was God's desire. And the same is true for us as New Testament believers. God didn't save you just for you. He didn't save me just for me. He saved you. He saved me so that we might pass the story on, so that we might walk with God, not in perfection, but that we would walk with him in such a way that our neighbors and coworkers and family and friends would say, you've found something and I need it. And that's God's intention. It always has been his intention. So James uses the only unmoving sole authority, the word of God, to make the decision. And we must always, always do the same in our decisions. And so he does so. He uses that. We also don't hear from Paul here, but we see over in Acts 15 that those apostles there in Jerusalem sent Paul back with, he said, look, the folks that are uh, not Jewish, that are Gentiles coming to Christ, yes, because the Acts 15 conference was also about, is this a worthy ministry? Are we to allow them into the kingdom? And so Paul and Barnabas, and we'll see Silas and Judas also were sent back with the message, yes, that is the gospel. Not what you've done, not what you do, but your faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
They also sent back in Acts 15, hey, you know what? Uh, for the peace of the greater church, if you could just tell those Gentile believers, there, there's, there's four things. If they would do, not to be saved, but as a result of being saved. If they'd stay away from things sacrificed to idols. They'd stay away from those things that were strangled to death and then sold in the marketplace. If they'd stay away from blood and if they'd stay away from fornication. That, those are just, they said, those are some basic Christian results of their salvation. So we have to be careful. We want to go one way or the other. It's our human tendency. We want to say we don't have to do anything to come to know Christ, or we want to say we have to do everything to come to know Christ. And yet the New Testament picture is it's solely by faith in Jesus Christ that we come to know him, that we're declared righteous, just like Abraham. Abraham, believing in God, Galatians will later tell us, 430 years before the law, and yet he was declared righteous. So it couldn't have been the law, as we'll see in a few weeks. And yet, there are results. If you put the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, there have to be results. So why does Paul leave that out? Again, the purpose of this letter for Paul is to get back to what does it take to come to know Christ. And if Paul had included those things here, he would have just added to their confusion again. Don't worry, he's going to deal with that later. The Galatians are going to learn about Christian growth, but he's going back to that. So verse 7, on the contrary, Seeing that I, the apostles there in Jerusalem, they saw, they recognized. We also see in Acts 15 that Peter stands up to defend Paul because Peter had already had the Cornelius experience. Even though Peter stayed with the ministry to the Israelites, Peter was the first one to have that experience of a complete Gentile coming to faith. So they already had that. Peter defends him. So here the rest of the apostles, verse 7, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he, that being God, his spirit, who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Peter, or Cephas, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, again, understand why he's kind of bringing them down a notch so that they will listen to him back in Galatia, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, the right hand of fellowship, we use that term, but it wasn't just a handshake, you see. They were giving Paul and Barnabas their official stamp of approval. So the Judaizers being used by the devil have come in to try to defeat the work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And all they've done is made it official that that is the gospel. You see, the devil always loses. We just want to be sure we're just pressing into the Lord so we're on the winning side when he loses. And so they get the right hand of fellowship. Again, referring to Acts 15, they sent with Paul and Barnabas, Silas, and a different Judas, so that when they got back, they would believe them. And they would believe there in Antioch that this really was what the apostles declared. So what happened there? Silas, as you know, became Paul's partner on the next missionary journey. The list can go on and on of all that backfires for the devil when he comes against God and the work of the kingdom. All he's doing is just adding to what God's doing. So just stick with God, have patience, and God's work will continue if that's the work that we're truly seeking to do. 
then that's where the fulfillment will be. But understand, as we kind of pull this to a close, understand the importance of this. We're, we're reading this narrative of this council, but understand how crucial this was. What if they had decided otherwise? What if they had decided that the work among the Gentiles was no bueno? What if they had decided that, you know what, we really, even if we don't necessarily believe it so, for the sake of getting along, we need to add the Old Testament law and the keeping of it and circumcision as a requirement. Circumcision is still a good idea. It's still God's health advice, but it has nothing to do with your salvation or whether you're right with God or not. But what if they had said, no, we need to add that as a requirement to salvation. Do you understand the ripple effects how many of us in this room would not be here as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as the addition of the keeping of the law would have muddied and weakened the gospel such that it wouldn't have done what it did in the New Testament? Be appreciative today that these folks made the right decision by basing it on the word of the Lord. We still today as a church make important decisions. Now, a lot of these matters, of course, have already been settled by the Word of God. The doctrines have already been established. There are no new words from the Lord that are contrary to His Word. But now we apply the Scripture. And so we make crucial decisions in the application of the Scripture. Some of those your, your pastors make, and then some of those enter into a sphere where the church needs to have a voice in that. And so we need to be reminded today that as we make these decisions, we too must keep going back to the Word of God. Not my tradition, not, not, not my background, my culture, uh, my upbringing, my education, my preference about theology and, and who can do this or I, you know, whatever it might be. But what does the Word say? What does the Word say? And we do that. and We speak prayerfully, Christ-like to each other. We'll continue to make these important decisions. And then again, what is this all about again? It's about the gospel. It's about the preservation of the gospel. And I remind you, there's not this gospel and that gospel. There's not gospel this, gospel that, gospel. There's the gospel. And we need to leave it preserved as it is, not trying to make it this kind of gospel and that kind of gospel. There are effects of the gospel in my life. There are things that I might do and you might do as the Lord grows us as a result of the gospel, but those things are not the gospel because those things begin to cause us to think and tell others by our actions or our explicit words to come to know Christ. You've got to do this and this and become this kind of person just to know him. And then people are defeated. And they put him off, and they wait, and they wait, thinking, if I can just become good enough, then I can come to Christ, where the gospel teaches the exact opposite, that we finally realize that we cannot become good enough, that we are inadequate, incomplete in ourselves, so that we fall either literally or at least in our hearts on our knees. I came to Christ on my knees. You can come to Christ standing up, laying down, upside down, doesn't matter, but at least in our hearts, falling before him to say, I give up. I actually can't accomplish it. I can't do anything to come to know Christ. And so therefore, please forgive me by the only possible payment for my sin. Because again, works-based righteousness, works-based salvation, which you might call religion, is where man achieves and God receives. But that doesn't do anything. 
No, grace-based, biblical salvation is where God achieves and man receives. If you're here today, you're watching online, you're in this room, and God's spoken to you, and you're one of those who's been waiting because you don't feel good enough, don't wait another day, don't wait another minute, because you'll never be good enough. That's why Christ came. If you could be good enough, you wouldn't have needed to come. You come today. Online, there where you're at, praying in your heart, turning your faith to Christ alone in this room, coming in just a moment after we pray to speak with a pastor and to express this desire in your heart to come to know Christ. And then those who know Christ even, the devil doesn't give up there. He switches his plan. He begins to beat you up to remind you day and night of all of your failures. And you just take him. Hey, here's Christ. You know what? A lot of what you're saying, devil, is true. I did fail that way. I did. You're wrong on that one. But yeah, those, I failed. Just here's Christ. He paid for it. Talk to him. And today, some of you just need to go back in your heart to Christ and say, thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you that even though I fail you because of what you've done, I'm right with you. And yes, I do want to grow in those areas. Yes, Lord, please help me to grow in that area and that area. But thank you that it doesn't affect my relationship with you, my standing before you because of Christ and the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this kind of meat and potatoes section of the scripture, just dealing again with these basic doctrines of what is and what is not the gospel. Father, I pray that we as a church will be appreciative that that this church in Jerusalem made the right choice because they turned to your word and not to their own opinions. Lord, as we apply the scripture to various theological, ecclesiastic, ecclesiastical uh, areas of our life, all of these big decisions, little decisions, that we would just go back to the word and back to the word and back to the word. And that for the new person, that we wouldn't confuse them with all the stuff but we just very simply take them back to the cross, back to Christ, what you've done to pay the price so that they can come to know you. And then, yes, that we would grow and grow and grow deep, deep, deep in our application of the Scripture to our lives, but we'd never confuse the two, understanding the difference between being declared righteous by faith and then walking by faith in sanctification. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their spirit, their attitude, in how they deal with things and how they approach and deal with and follow their leaders and, and, and just the, the interaction and how you've blessed and the health. But, oh, God, I know the devil doesn't like it, so help us to always strive and, and put forth the spiritual effort to maintain that spirit of unity and the bond of peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.